0: Hello, I'm Rabbi Ed Bernstein. Welcome to the My Teacher Podcast, a celebration of the people who shape our lives. This is Rabbi Ed Bernstein in July 2022. Recently, I was invited to teach on the Jewish Ideas to Change the World podcast, produced by Valley Beit Midrash in Phoenix, Arizona. The title of my talk was All Hands on Deck, The Gifts that Introverts and Extroverts Bring to Jewish Leadership and Why It Matters. I want to thank VBM's President and Dean, Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz, for his gracious invitation and for granting me permission to distribute this podcast on the My Teacher podcast feed. At the same time, I want to offer a shout-out to Valley Beit Midrash, check out their rich selection of Jewish educational offerings at valleybeitmidrash.org where you will find recordings of some of the most distinguished teachers in the English-speaking world. I also recommend subscribing to the several podcasts VBM produces, Jewish Ideas to Change the World, Pearls of Jewish Wisdom on Living with Kindness, and social justice in the Parsha. See the show notes of this podcast for helpful resources, including my study guide published on safaria.org, and also my 2015 essay, The Roar of the Cat Rabbi, the Vital Role of Introverts in the Congregational Rabbinate, published in the book Keeping Faith in Rabbis, edited by Rabbi Chaim Herring and Ellie Rocher. Now, I'll turn it over to Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz to introduce my talk at Valley Beit Midrash. Enjoy.
1: Hello, holy friends. We're so happy you're here with us today to learn. We are um, thrilled to once again partner with Temple Emmanuel. I see our friend Francie here on the call. Welcome. Thank you for representing Temple Emanuel in Colorado. And, um, and we're happy to see all of you. We know many of you are in the room and many of you are on the recording end. And we love learning with all of you. It is a delight today to be here today with Rabbi Edward Bernstein, who serves as chaplain for Boca Raton Regional Hospital in Boca Raton, Florida. He also hosts my teacher podcast, a celebration of the people who shape our lives. Gotta check it out. Rabbi Bernstein edited Love, Finer Than Wine, the writings of Matthew Eisenfeld and Sarah Duker, a 2016 National Jewish Book Awards finalist. Rabbi Bernstein was ordained at the Jewish Theological Seminary. He served congregations in New Rochelle, New York, Beechwood, Ohio, and Boynton Beach, Florida. Rabbi Bernstein has also served on the faculty of Camp Ramad de Rome, Moshe House, and the JTS Florida office. And I, um, uh, uh, Rabbi Ed reminded me that this is only our second time in VBM history where we have had two siblings, Uh, have both presented at VBM, one being two other JTS grads of the Wolpe brothers, and now we're having the Bernstein brothers. So Rev Ed, welcome, we are happy to have you here. Thank you.
0: As they say on talk radio, first time, long time. I'm a long time listener of the VBM podcasts, and I'm honored to teach here today for the first time. Uh, One feature that I enjoy when I listen to VBM is Rav Shmuley's polls, so I'm going to start with my own poll. Let me give you a lead into it. Our last Jewish holiday was Shavuot, when we, when we read the Torah's account of mahamad Har Sinai, the Israelite standing at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19, the Torah tells us about the overwhelming sound and light spectacle, thunder and lightning, that the people experienced at the mountain. According to the Midrash, the lightning and thunder were necessary to wake the people up to experience the divine revelation and to receive the Torah. I'd like us to jump into this Midrash. Imagine. Being at Har Sinai. You've been freed from Egypt. You've experienced the miracle of crossing the sea. You have been walking through the hot desert in the midst of about 2 million people. So here's the poll. And we'll put it on the screen. If you were at Har Sinai, would you, have, would you have fallen asleep needing God's wake-up call? Or would you have been wide awake, waiting with great anticipation for the ecstatic experience? Give you a chance to respond. Okay, I think that's just about everyone. Let's close the poll and put up the results. Um, pretty interesting. Uh, 60% said, despite the midrash, uh, that you would have been wide awake with anticipation and 40% uh, would have fallen asleep. Okay, we can take down the poll um, and I'll tell you how I would have responded. So, if I were there, I'm sure I would have been sound asleep. I would have been exhausted from my travels, exhausted from being surrounded by millions of people day after day, exhausted by the constant stimulation. Why is that? It's not because I'm a mean guy. It's because I am an introvert. I've reflected... In recent years, on how being an introvert has shaped my rabbinate, and how awareness of introversion and extroversion affects Jewish institutions today. Um, but before I go more into me, I want to share my screen and uh, um, offer some some sources. Um, so. What do I mean by extrovert and introvert? Um, An extrovert is someone with a preference for more stimulating environments. And an introvert uh, is someone with a preference for less stimulating environments. Um, And people are roughly divided between the two. Um, And by the way, ambiverts is everyone in between only a few people are at the far extremes on either side. Most of us have some form of ambiversion, but most of us lean one way or another. I personally lean more towards introversion. And it turns out about um, a little more than half of the people, uh, at least in this country, are on the extroverted side. There's a bias in our society towards extroverts, but a significant minority are introverts, and I think our poll was absolutely perfect. It was 60-40 in favor of the extroverts, but what I'd like to share today is what goes into these different personalities and how they affect uh, Jewish life and leadership. I want to first delve a little bit more into the definitions of these personality traits, and for this, um, uh, first we have this um, chart here that shows how we gather energy. Extroverts and introverts gather energy differently. There's no judgment but behind the terms. Um, it's just a different way of responding to stimuli. So an extrovert finds energy and things and people outside of themselves. If you want to know what they are thinking, just listen. They think out loud with others and like variety of action. They get energized by large gatherings and like having people around. They're often good at greeting people. Sometimes they're impatient with slow jobs. They may prefer to communicate orally more so than in writing. They like to learn new tasks by talking about them and commit through action and experience let's look at introverted types. They draw energy in different ways. They find energy in the inner world of ideas and concepts. If you want to know what they think, you must ask and wait. They need time to formulate their thoughts and feelings. They need time or one-on-one small group time to replenish and concentrate. They can work Uh, on one project for a long time and stay focused. And they can also do it alone. They may prefer to read instructions rather than talk about them and write as a way of expressing themselves more so than talk or speak publicly. And they wanna think things over before committing. So you may resonate with one side of these more than the other side. I'll tell you uh, an author who really had a major influence on me in terms of my thinking, uh, and that is Susan Cain, who wrote the bestseller book about 10 years ago, Quiet, the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. So here's how she defines the two personality types. Uh, She writes, "Our, our personalities also shape our social styles. Extroverts are the people who who will add life to your dinner party and laugh generously at your jokes. They tend to be assertive, dominant, and in great need of company. Extroverts think out loud and on their feet. They prefer, prefer talking to listening, rarely find themselves at a loss for words, and occasionally blurt out things they never meant to say. They're comfortable with conflict, but not with solitude. And then here's how Susan Kane defines introverts. Introverts, in contrast, may have strong social skills and enjoy parties and business meetings, but after a while, uh, they would wish they were home in their pajamas. Think about our ancestors at Mount Sinai. They prefer to devote their social energies to close friends, colleagues, and family. They listen more than they talk. They think before they speak, and often feel as if they express themselves better in writing than in conversation. They tend to dislike conflict. Many have a horror of small talk, but enjoy deep conversations. So in other words, the basic difference between introverts and extroverts is how each processes and reacts to stimuli in our world. We are hardwired in different ways, and these come from evolution. They're survival mechanisms to react to the world around us, and they work in different ways for different people. Introverts are wired to reflect and inspect. Extroverts are wired to react and and respond. So where does my life come into this? Um, Shortly after Susan Cain's book was published, I devoured it. And then around 2014, um, I had a contract renewal with the synagogue I was serving at the time. And uh, it was a stressful process. I ultimately was renewed. But... uh, some things came up and I, ha- I started facing more directly issues that were coming up because of my introversion preference. Um, and so in 2014, uh, um, Rabbi Chaim Herring, uh, dear friend and colleague, put out a, a call for essays for a book he was editing. Um, it's called Keeping Faith in Rabbis, A Community Conversation with on Rabbinical Education. And I pitched to him the idea of writing about extroverts and introverts in the rabbinate. And he said, go for it. And I wrote this essay and he graciously published uh, my essay in this book. It's called The Roar of the Cat Rabbi. Um, so uh, in the essay, I reflected on moments in my career when my introversion stood out. And I also reflect on research into extroverts and introverts, and I cite Susan Cain a lot. But here's one particular story that stands out for me that I shared in my essay. I finished a lesson on the weekly Torah portion with the third grade of a local Jewish day school. I then rushed through the hallways to get to my next appointment back at the synagogue. While heading for my car, I saw two women from my congregation engaged in deep discussion near the main entrance of the school. Without breaking my stride, I tried to make eye contact with them to acknowledge their presence verbally or nonverbally. I knew that was a good rabbinic thing to do. Neither of them looked my way, so I kept going. I might not have even given that day another thought, except a few weeks later, I faced an annual review by the rabbinic review committee. There were a number of positive comments concerning central areas of of my rabbinic practice. My sermons were thoughtful and addressed timely topics. My teaching was engaging and learned. My pastoral care during times of crisis was warm and caring. My eulogies consistently captured the essence of the deceased. I sat tall in my chair, happy that I was doing the things a good rabbi was supposed to do. Then the other shoe dropped. My reviewers noted, that I often appeared quiet, even aloof, not interested in engaging with congregants on a personal level. When I asked for an example, a member of the review panel cited the two women I saw at the, on that day at the Jewish day school. The women reported that they were offended, that I did not stop to say hello to them. They felt that I was ignoring them. Seriously, I thought to myself, What I actually responded to the committee was, I didn't want to be rude to those women. They were having a conversation. What if I had stopped their conversation and interrupted? They would have been offended. My lay leaders were not convinced. They made clear that the congregation wanted a social butterfly and wanted me to burst out of my tight cocoon. At least that is how I heard the feedback. So that's one little nugget to give you a a sense of where I'm coming from. Now, a version of that story, which I've told in different rabbinic settings, uh, is actually quite common, and rabbis of all stripes experience that very same scenario at some point in their career. So it's not unique to introverts, but I share it because it captures uh, the issues that I've been grappling with. Before delving more deeply, though, into my own career and the modern rabbinate and modern Jewish leadership in general, I want to study with you some texts from Jewish tradition that relate to my thinking on extroverts and introverts and leadership. So here are some sources. We have um, the brothers Jacob and Esau. Uh, and the Torah tells us in Genesis, when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the outdoors, but Jacob was a mild man who stayed in camp. And uh, these are often regarded as different prototypes, Esau being more of an extrovert and Jacob being more of an introvert. Um, and now it's a complex story. Jacob is officially the hero of the story, but it comes with um, a lot of pain, um, perhaps unjustly done towards Esau, um, and Esau gets a bum rap. But the the, the hero of the Torah and certainly in the eyes of the rabbis is Jacob, who's an introvert. Here's another famous pair um, in the Torah. Uh, It's Moses and Aaron. But before we meet Aaron, let's see Moses at the burning bush. So God calls to, to Moses. Up until that point, Moses had fled from Egypt. He is tending sheep for his father-in-law, Yitro. He is living in what you might say is introvert heaven. He is minding his own business, tending sheep, Um, going home at night to the tent and having a jolly old life. But then he's called to the burning bush. And God calls him to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses does everything he can to get out of it. Please, my Lord, I've never been a man of words, either in times past or now that you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. God said to him, who gives human speech? What makes them dumb or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I? Now go, and I will be with you as you speak and will instruct you what to say. But Moses said, please, oh, my Lord, make someone else your agent. God became angry with Moses and said, there is your brother Aaron the Levite. He, I know, speaks readily. Even now he is sitting out to meet you and he will be happy to see you. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with you and with him as you speak and tell both of you what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people. Thus he shall serve as your spokesman with you playing the role of God to him. And take with you this rod which, with, with which you shall perform the signs. So God does not take no for an answer. Uh, God appoints Aaron to be the spokesperson for Moses. Now Moses certainly grows into his own as a leader. He, uh, as the ten plagues go forward. Initially it's Aaron who's speaking the Pharaoh, but as we get towards the end, it's Moses and Moses finds his voice so much so that by the time we get to the fifth book of the Torah, which we will in a couple of weeks, the book of Deuteronomy, it's basically one long speech by Moses. So for someone who is heavy of tongue and speech, he he finds his voice, um, which is an inspiration to to introverts like me that we can stretch ourselves. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to take a closer look at Aaron, and what makes him tick. So there's a famous midrash on Aaron that appears in Avot de Rabbi Natan. And this is um, uh, the rabbi's imagining of what Aaron was like as a personality. Um, And it's based on the text in Perkei avot, be like the disciples of Aaron, love peace and pursue peace and bring them closer to Torah. So love peace, how so? This is to teach you to be a person who loves peace among the people of Israel, just as Aaron loved peace between everyone, as it says. A Torah of truth was on his mouth and no crooked thing was on his lips. He walked with me in peace and righteousness and he pulled back many from sin. Rabbi Meir would say, what do we learn from he pulled back many from sin? Uh, when Aaron was walking down the road, he came upon a wicked person. He would wish him shalom. I mean, this was a guy who would not ignore people he saw on the, on the road. He said hello to people. What an extroverted thing to do. The next day, when that man wanted to sin, he would say, alas, How will I be able to look Aaron in the face? I will be so embarrassed when he wishes me shalom. And so this man would stop himself from sinning. Similarly, when two people were fighting with one another, Aaron would go and sit next to one of them and say, my son, look at the anguish your friend is going through. His heart is ripped apart and he is tearing at his clothes. He is saying, how can I face my old friend? I am so ashamed I betrayed his trust. Aaron would sit with him until his rage subsided. Then Aaron would go to the other person in the fight and say, my son, look at the anguish your friend is going through. His heart is ripped apart and he is tearing at his clothes. He is saying, how can I face my old friend? I'm so ashamed I betrayed his trust. Aaron would sit with him until his rage subsided. When the two people saw each other, they would embrace and kiss one another. And that is why it says, uh, and the entire house of Israel wept for Aaron for 30 days after his death. This is Torah reading two Shabbats ago. When Aaron dies, the entire people of Israel weep. uh, And the sages note emphasis on the word cold, the entire entire people. Because he was, uh, Aaron was the guy who would know your name. He was the guy who would... Uh, know if you had relatives in the hospital he was the guy who would uh, ask how your family was doing he would know your birthday he was this personal guy um, who people could relate to whereas Moses had a reputation of being more aloof and these were there they they each had gifts Um, Moses tapped into his gifts as an introvert and Aaron as an extrovert. One other famous pairing in Jewish literature is Shammai and Hillel. Here's a famous story, and I'm going to offer a reading through my lenses. Uh, You you know this story, I'm sure. Another time a non-Jew came before Shammai and said, I will convert if you can teach me the entire Torah while I stand on one foot. Shammai pushed the non-Jew aside with the ruler that was in his hand. The non-Jew came before Hillel, and Hillel converted him, saying, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the entire Torah. The rest is commentary. Now go and study. Hillel schmoozed the guy. He got to know him, Um, whereas Shammai was standoffish, as as the text tells us. So in this case advantage extroverts. However, Shammai does uh, have praise given to him in, in Pirkei Avot. Shammai used to say, make your study of the Torah a fixed practice. Speak little but do much and receive everyone with a pleasant countenance. Okay, so Shammai often gets a bum rap, but he's also give an attribution for this beautiful teaching, which I think we all do well to learn from. Now, Hillel, the extrovert, had a great grandson. My father is a genealogist, so he'd be proud of me for knowing this. But uh, Shimon, the son of Gamliel I, was a great grandson of Hillel, who was a great extrovert. But Shimon used to say, all my days I grew up among the sages, and I have found nothing better for a person than silence. Study is not the most important thing, but actions. Whoever indulges in too many words brings about sin. So it's interesting. Shimon, this great grandson of Hillel, sounds an awful lot like Shammai, who was Hillel's intellectual rival. We know the story of how their uh, children married one another and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, that's that's another divartura. Um, but here we see a mingling of personalities within the same family. Now, one other interesting thing from our um, biblical and Talmudic sources is that um, God Himself, the Rebono Shalolam, has two, at least two different personality traits there's an extroverted side of God and, believe it or not, an introverted side of God. We see this in relation to the festival of Sukkot. The Torah tells us that on the seven days of Sukkot, there are a total of 70 bullocks sacrificed. Um, but on Shmini Yatzeret, there is one bullock sacrificed. And the, the sages, uh, Tell us here, um, Rabbi Elazar said, these 70 bulls that are sacrificed, to what do they correspond? They correspond to the 70 nations of the world. So the festival of Sukkot is the festival of, I mean, it's Zman Simchatenu. It's celebrating with all our friends um, and all the nations of the world, opening our house to everybody and God, in essence, opening God's home to everybody. Um, But why is a single bull sacrificed on the eighth day of of assembly? It corresponds to the singular nation, Israel, uh, with whom God has a special relationship. And Rashi uh, says that Uh, It's similar to the case of a king who invited his children to a banquet for a certain number of days. When the time arrived for them to take their departure, he said, children, I beg of you stay one more day with me. It's so hard for me to part from you. So that's what Shemini Yatseret is. It's this one extra day for God to have an intimate conversation or relationship with the people of Israel. Um, So... There's a time for schmoozing with the whole world, and there's a time for having a meaningful, quiet conversation with one other party. So we learn from this that even God has different aspects of these personalities. So we'll bring it back to me. So I've laid a foundation here for my background. And as I was reflecting on, my own career in the rabbinate when I was a pulpit rabbi, um, I uh, was looking to see what literature there was uh, on this topic, on different personality traits. And there was an essay written about 25 years ago in the CCAR journal by Rabbi Dan Cohn-Scherbach, who uh, now lives in Great Britain and has had an illustrious career as an academic, but he wrote an article about his early years in the rabbinate as a pulpit rabbi who was an introvert. And he used a particular metaphor, um, dog rabbis and cat rabbis. So you can fill in the blanks for the metaphor. Uh, Dog rabbis are the, the social people, the extroverts, and cat rabbis are the introverts. So he uh, uh, fashions himself as a cat rabbi. So in his essay, he writes, I tried and tried and tried, yet over and over again, I failed to satisfy the demands of my congregation. I fell into every trap. I just couldn't be the friendly, authentic, sympathetic, and attentive pastor that my congregation wanted. The congregational rabbinate is designed for dog rabbis. A good rabbi must behave like a dog, loving everyone, greeting each person with enthusiasm, rounding everyone up and metaphorically wagging his tail. Right or wrong, this is ultimately what congregants want. A rabbi must be friendly and public-spirited. He cannot be a solitary recluse." Okay, so uh, he describes uh, further, uh, as uh, he shriveled up when he had to act as a master of ceremonies, he dreaded bar mitzvahs, he hated weddings, he detested kissing every old lady good Shabbos. Ultimately, the pulpit was not for him. And he, f- he found a different path in Gagazinterheid, as they say. Um, he, he found a path and was able to flourish in his career. Not long after he published this essay in the 1990s, Rabbi Brad Artson, who is a a dear friend and teacher of mine and a a Valley Beit Midrash past speaker, um, he previously, before he became dean of the Ziegler School in Los Angeles, had an illustrious career as a successful pulpit rabbi in Southern California. And so he wrote an extrovert's response To Dan Cohn Sherbach, and the title of his essay was My Life as a Dog Rabbi. So, Rabbi Artson's approach was Yeah, I'm an extrovert, and this is what I do to be a successful pulpit rabbi. And he wrote To be a good rabbi, you must love and identify with your congregants. No gift of eloquence administrative skills or bedside manner can compensate people when they sense a rabbi's disdain, distance, disinterest. When you love your congregants unconditionally, you feel their pain. When you go to someone's home who suffered a loss and you have to be there for them and to help make a shiva minion, you cry when you see them crying. When you stand by their hospital bed, it can be wrenching. When you hear their family troubles, your heart can break. So that's what uh, Rabbi Artson wrote. And um, I agree with every word. Um, And this is what I wrote in my essay. Um, But I'll I'll say that uh, what I'm reacting to is uh, I'm reacting to this, what I regarded then and and now as a false dichotomy, um, because I don't believe that there's this clear-cut division between dog rabbis and cat rabbis. What I said was I agree with Artson completely. The rabbi must be both authentic and present for the congregation. However, both extroverted and introverted rabbis must relate to to congregants in the way that Artson describes. Authentic relationships are not the exclusive domain of extroverted dog rabbis. These qualities are equally achievable by extroverts and introverts. They may even come more naturally to many introverts, including the, the pastoral skills, going for the Shiva Minion, crying with people one on one. And the, the pastoral role of the rabbinate is one that I feel that I personally uh, thrive in. Um, so, uh, I was influenced by Susan Cain's argument that our society is overly biased towards extroverts and that introverts bring a lot to the table in terms of leadership qualities. For example, she writes, introverts often push themselves out of their comfort zone to do important things out of a profound sense of mission. So think of Moses, um, and she actually discusses Moses in her, in her book. She happens to be Jewish and granddaughter of a rabbi, and she has a, a nice midrash about Moses and Aaron, and she talks about Moses tapping into that inner sense of mission to find his voice, to lead the people, because he was just so outraged about what was going on. She also talks about um, other great introverts in history, such as Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, you know, she often has this reputation as this tired old lady who was tired and had to sit on the bus. But it actually wasn't that at all. She was a young woman at the time of the Montgomery Bus Boycott, and she was very much part of the movement. And everything was carefully orchestrated. Um, what was different about Rosa Parks and, say, Martin Luther King, is Rosa Parks was an introvert. And Martin Luther King, of course, was a glorious orator and, uh, and speaker and public personality, very much an extrovert. So um, Rosa Parks was driven by this sense of moral outrage of the lack of civil rights, she stepped out of her comfort zone into this public role to help the civil rights movement. So Susan Kane notes this strategic partnership. Take the partnership of Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, uh, a formidable orator refusing to give up his seat on a segregated bus wouldn't have had the same effect as a modest woman who'd clearly prefer to keep silent But for the exigencies of the situation. And Parks didn't have the stuff to thrill a crowd if she tried to stand up and announce that she had a dream. But with King's help, she didn't have to. So so introverts and extroverts don't have to, they're they're not at loggerheads with each other, but we're most successful when we work together and we complement one another um now uh two funny things happened have happened since i wrote the essay the roar of the cat rabbi my argument in that essay which was published in 2015 was you can be an introvert and be a pulpit rabbi and there should be nothing holding back introverts from being pul- pulpit rabbis because we have A lot of what it takes—we have an inner, many of us have an inner sense of mission that drives us. We have the ability to focus on complex issues, Um, and uh, we can be very sincere and all kinds of other attributes that you would want to have in a pulpit rabbi are very common among introverts. Well, two funny things happened Um, a couple years after I wrote this essay. I uh, left the pulpit rabbinate I, and found my way into chaplaincy. Um, so I work in healthcare chaplaincy. I feel like I have found my professional niche. Um, uh, I don't have as many of the uh, personal challenges or, or constant feeling of exhaustion that I often felt uh, in the pulpit rabbinate. Um, However, as, I, as I've reread my essay in, in preparing for today, I, I still stand by it. And I still feel um, it's important uh, because, um, because there's a, a dearth of good leadership out there. And there's a shortage of, of leaders. Um, and we, we need rabbis. We need cantors. We need educators of all stripes. Um, Uh, The second funny thing that happened, not funny, but the second thing that happened since I wrote this essay was um, the COVID pandemic. And some of you might recall at the beginning of the pandemic, um, pundits were saying, this is introvert heaven. Introverts are finally getting their way. They can work online. They can sit at home in their pajamas. They don't have to be social. And I must admit, uh, there was an aspect of the early lockdown days that, um, that I felt a bit uh, replenished. As nervous as I was and stressed as I was, there, there was a replenishing aspect of it. And yet, um, studies have been done. I cite here a study in MIT Technology Review that um, It wasn't the case that the lockdown was introverts' paradise. Um, For example, uh, calendars cleared by coronavirus were filled up with virtual happy hours. And uh, so extroverts found ways to uh, find their social niches. And introverts sometimes felt exhausted by the upheaval and the change and whether to be be on camera or off camera. Um, and So there was a, just a different set of stresses um, between, between the two. But what has happened since then is that there's been a lot of burnout. Um, and a lot of people, there have been a lot of retirements in the rabbinate recently. A lot of people have shifted gears from diff- from, say, the pulpit to other institutions and um, and I, I'm personally concerned as someone who has a stake in Jewish leadership in the Jewish community. I'm a conservative rabbis. So I'm a member of the Rabbinical assembly, and I, I read and reacted with great concern to the um, Rabbinical assembly, uh, which is the body of conservative rabbis deciding that um, that uh, um, the the placement service would be open to everybody for this past placement season. In other words, if you were, say, a reform rabbi who wanted to apply for a job at a conservative synagogue, you had to wait until, say, May or June to apply uh, to make sure it was still open. But um, this year, they waived those requirements so that uh, congregations could have a larger pool to pick from, um, and this is uh, this should be of concern to all of us. Um, so, uh, uh, in preparing for today, I was thinking, you know, we've got to have all hands on get on deck, and what I wrote five six years ago still applies. We need to make sure that um, introverted rabbis feel appreciated and comfortable. Uh, leading uh, Jewish Jewish groups. I want to bring one final set of sources to the fore before I wrap up. Um, There's a book that just came out, a very important book, um, uh, by Dr. Alana Stokman. Uh, It's titled When Rabbis Abuse Power, Gender, and Status in the Dynamics of Sexual Abuse in Jewish Culture. Now, this is largely well beyond the scope of my talk today. Um, It's important and we we need to, as a community, we need to get a grip on this issue and make some important changes that she talks about. Um, But two things stood out for me as I read this book. One was her analysis of the idea of charisma and the bias that Jewish institutions have towards Uh, charisma. Uh, According to research, one of the items that distinguishes Jewish clergy from other religious leaders is how Jewish culture defines charisma. Jewish culture across denominations places rabbis on a pedestal for their abilities to hold a crowd and wow audiences. Whether this means skill in giving a sermon, singing a moving prayer, articulating uplifting words, playing the guitar, or comforting and inspiring people, rabbis are often venerated for their charisma on stage and in private. A rabbi who is adept at finding the words people want to hear is revered, idolized, and protected across denominations. It's a star-struck combination of entertaining performance, scholar, and inspiring feel-good camp leader. Jewish notions of charisma are not, by contrast, like evangelical preacher who speaks loudly and with great animation and elicits many amens. They are also not monotonous, distant choral leaders who build on fire and brimstone. The Jewish version of charisma is funny, personable, flirtatious, musical, sincere, personally engaging, intelligent, handsome, inspiring, and caring. The Jewish leader knows how to get their own audience gently nodding and feeling good, whether with words of comfort, a guitar, or a good joke. It's a form of religious cultural importance. So I think this is important insight. Now, of course, I read this largely with the bias of connecting charisma with extroversion. That is not always the case. Um, And she is drawing a line between charisma and being at more risk of problematic behavior, such as abuse. And clearly I want to emphasize that um, uh, that uh, not all sexual abusers are extroverts uh, and uh, there are introverts who have done bad things and plenty of extroverts are exemplary people. But I'm taken by Dr. Stokesman's Dr. Stokes, illustration, which parallels a lot of Susan Cain's language. And Susan Cain talks about how American society has evolved towards favoring high octane, high volume, highly stimulating leadership styles. And that leaves a lot of good leadership out in the cold that our society would benefit from. Uh, Dr. Stokeman says the community is losing invaluable talent. She's talking about people who've left leadership as a result of abuse. But I see this also as when we ignore people because they're not as flashy as the most uh, charismatic people. Um, Maybe there are different kinds of charisma. Maybe there are different kinds of leadership. Um, I believe there are. And I believe it's, um, it's important for us to tap in to those leaders. So to conclude, uh, congregations and our community at large must recognize that many introverted rabbis as well as extroverts have made significant contributions to the congregational rabbinate over the years and have inspired many thousands of Jews to engage more deeply in Jewish life lay leaders should recognize that rabbis on the more introverted end of the spectrum often are motivated into service by a deep sense of mission and are adept at intense focus on vital issues. To the extent such rabbis may need to develop tools to cultivate relationships more effectively, congregations should nurture and support their rabbis in this effort they must recognize that most rabbis fall somewhere on the spectrum in the large area of ambiverts, being able to stretch in one direction or another. Therefore, rabbis have flexibility to stretch their relational skills while still remaining authentic to themselves. And to my fellow introverts out there, especially introverted rabbis, if you're listening, don't sell yourselves short. The stigma associated with introversion is false. Rabbis on the introverted end of the spectrum possess special gifts that are vital to the rabbinate, including caring, compassion, keen listening skills, and deliberate decision-making. We need diverse leadership in the Jewish community. It's all hands on deck. Thank you very much. Wonderful, wonderful,
1: Rev. Ed. Thank you so much for this very thoughtful presentation. Friends, we would love to open it up to your questions. So feel free to unmute yourself if you'd like to jump in. Hi, hi, Ariella. Sorry,
0: no questions, just putting out a <laughs>
1: reaction. Oh, that was a reaction. Sorry, I, mis- I misread yep.
0: it. Great,
1: yeah.
0: thank you so much. Okay, she's, well, she she's job. no, she's, hi, no she's, she's no Ga'at Badavar, she happens to be my lovely wife.
1: <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> thank you for being
0: here. Hi, Steve Chobin.
2: Oh, hi, hi. Um, Rabbi, I loved your presentation, and I promise you this, I'm going to get you a t-shirt which says introverts can be charismatic too, because you certainly proved that today. One small question, does it depend on the audience, the setting which determines your degree of introversion or extroversion? And I will kind of uh, jump ahead and say, in my case, it depends entirely on the setting. I tend to be more introverted in cerebral settings like this, which, as everybody knows, I love. But I tend to be more extroverted uh, in athletics or, or playing ball. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a statement and a question, but thanks for your presentation.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Um, let me react first to uh, your first comment about attire. And I love swag and I love appropriate attire. And here's one tool in my introverted toolkit. Um, there's a thing that's called a, um, a, a, a prop, uh, a, a conversational prop. And uh, that is something you might wear that's a conversation starter. So, so um, for me, it's my neckties. Uh, so I wear themed neckties that are designed to spark conversation. I, I actually have one for every Torah portion throughout the year the one i'm wearing today for this occasion is the blues brothers saying on a mission from god and i'm as Rob Schmooley knows i'm from chicago so i can say it in an authentic chicago accent on a mission from god
1: um,
0: <laughs> and uh so uh um to, to go to your larger issue introverts love structure and introverts are more nervous when it comes to unstructured settings so like i get nervous i get anxious if i'm say at happy hour and i am just mingling or kiddish to a certain extent Um, when i was wearing the role of rabbi i was wearing a, a hat and was able to address kiddish in kind of an official capacity um, and was able to, you know, I mingled and I schmoozed with people, but by playing that official role, that's how I survived kiddish. But if I'm just thrown into say a happy hour, um, my anxiety goes up and I'm a big sports fan as well. Um, and sports is structure. So introverts uh, respond well to structure. There are rules. There's an order. There are teams, Um, uh, and and so you can engage with people in that sort of ordered way. And for me, you know, everybody. I mean, we as human beings are social animals. We need human contact, even introverts. uh, introverts just need a little more structure some of the time. So, thank you for your comment and question.
1: Great, thank you.
0: Hi, uh, hi, Aglaia.
3: Hi. Um, so, one thing that a lot of people find it weird about me, though, that I am introverted, though. Um, so, it's I fake extroversion every day because I have to. But long story short, um, just thinking about um, Moses and Aaron, and also thinking about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King. Okay, um, the Rosa Parks was chosen, there was a lot, well, I wouldn't say a lot, a lot, but there was deliberateness to how she was chosen as an icon for, you know, Montgomery Bus Boycott. It's a long story to go into that, all right? But as Rosa Parks is there, and Martin Luther King is the one going out and like, you know, hey, you know, mingling and making the great speeches and stuff like that. It kind of um, parallels like what we always see. Okay, the introvert is standing behind and is the one saying, yeah, go out there and get them. I'm the one coming up with all the great ideas. I'm the one doing all the great stuff. You go out there and take all the credit for it. Mm
0: -hmm. Is this
3: dynamic, just something that is so ingrained in our minds that we just cannot somehow get past thinking about introverts as the power behind the throne? I mean, really, like, if it's been ingrained in our minds since the time of Moses and Aaron, I mean, what are we going to do about that?
0: <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. I think it's a, a great issue. And um, I mean, in from my own personal perspective, as I fellow Mm -hmm. uh, introverts, joining arms with you. Um, uh, I don't feel a need to be out in front getting all the credit. Um, I, I mean, sometimes I do. And that's, that was the pulpit rabbi in me who wanted to, I mean, who craved that stroking. And I I, I mean when when it's when when you give a sermon to a thousand people and people pat you on the back and say great job rabbi afterwards that oh, that's that, that, that 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 can be invigorating um, but after a while it can also be exhausting um, so um, I I personally feel I don't always need to be out in front um, however I agree with your general Uh, concern and and critique that that we we deserve credit and it's more
3: so that yeah no one else can appreciate the person who's just the power behind the throne that's my big issue that's why people tend to not appreciate what introverts everything that they associate with introverts that they tend to always you know just our category our minds categorized and so the category of the introvert is in the category of you're supposed to stand behind the box and be the guy behind the curtain like telling the guy who's out in front what to do and everything though but right. and it doesn't if it doesn't change if we cannot change that um you know mental then we're not going to be able to change how people appreciate introverts um, leadership styles that's my awesome,
1: only awesome. thank yeah. you uh we have a question here from toby not so much a
4: question as to look at the other side. I seem to be on this track with Aglaia. We are uh, always responding to what she has to say because I, I I get it, you know? Mm-hmm. But here's the, here's the good part of being the power behind the throne. When things go wrong, you also aren't blamed for it. It's the guy who's out there who gets, oh, look at so-and-so, what an idiot when you're going, oh, whoops, well, I guess that wasn't such a good idea. So, uh, you know, just saying, just saying. I'm a lawyer, I got to look at both sides. But, uh, you know, it, it, that's the good part of, uh, if you if you want to turn that theory on its head, because um, I'm, I'm unbeknownst to everyone, I too am an introvert um, who learned to be an extrovert because I'm a trial attorney, so. You know, just saying, but it, it's, it's not a bad thing necessarily to be the one who has all the ideas. And if you but what you think you have to realize is knowing what your position is. If you want to get the credit, then you need to step out. Then you need to step out and go, Hey, I'm going to play on my own ideas here. I'm not going to turn them over to the guy who's the front man.
3: Um, So there is some
4: responsibility to that
3: and that doesn't mean as much to me as people kind of, I guess I said it stupidly but yeah credit doesn't mean as much to me as that it was just more along the lines of no one's going to appreciate, you know, I mean because that's, you know, kind of hardwired in their minds, that's all.
0: Right. Um, By the way, I, this is, this is a great discussion. I put in the chat for those online, the link to my Safaria source sheet, and hopefully it can also be in the show notes of the podcast um, so that you can uh, refer to the sources uh, on your own. Amazing.
1: Amazing. Well, I just want to thank all the introverts who joined us Thank all the extroverts who joined us and all the non-binary introvert, extrovert (laughs) folks who also joined us. And Rabbi Ed Bernstein, what a wonderful presentation. Thank you for joining us. And um, it was terrific to learn with you. We hope everyone will continue to learn with us. Also, thank you, Temple Emmanuel, uh, for your partnership today. And Francie, thank you for being here to represent. And uh, we wish everyone a great rest of your day. Thanks so much. And an early Shabbat
4: Shalom.